Joe, you know about this, but something I've been working on on the side is a leadership pilgrimage. I still don't even know what that word means. (laughs) But um, basically with a a nonprofit I'm involved with, we're going to do some uh, leadership program that's probably a year long experience. And it includes a couple like retreats on the front and back end. And then in between there's, um, there's just like a, it's a smaller group really committed to trying to grow in certain ways, not just as leaders, but also like as people and spiritually. And so I think why I'm most excited about it is, uh, one of, one of the bookend retreats is going to be like an actual pilgrimage in Spain, El Camino de Santiago, mm-hmm. which did you know there's a movie about it? Did you know that movie, The Way, with Martin Sheen? Uh, I'm going to go with no, but it almost sounds familiar. So I don't know if I'm just tricking myself. Well, anything. I think it was big for a moment, and I, I kind of missed it too. Uh-huh. But I was trying to pull it up, and like I can't find it anywhere. Like It's on Prime, but you can't watch it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've never you can't seen... even pay for it. Yeah. Uh-uh. I'm like, <laughs> no, I will pay you for it, and they won't let you. But um, Dang licensing, probably. It's so weird. And then you kind of like look at through forums of where can I watch this and nobody knows mm-hmm. or it's like outdated information. But anyway, you're, you might be involved with this too. So that's kind of cool. I don't know if you've had thoughts on it, but yeah, um, I, mean, I was pretty hooked at Spain. So yeah, <laughs> it didn't <laughs> take much more than Spain. that. You said other stuff about a year and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Pilgrimaging. <laughs> like growing, I don't know, whatever, but Spain, but Spain I'm there. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. And it's just really cool because, um, it'll be, uh, yeah, people are kind of at a point where they really want to um, level up in a certain way, or really, you know, focus on on their growth in that way. Um, I don't know; it's different than what we do at Greenhouse, and it's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. But shout out today for actually, I have a few shout outs. Um, first of all, uh, Musa. This I'll just read directly. I want to be independent of my nine to five. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be where I am. I'm a manager in the cybersecurity space, but my creativity is limited and I can't ever use that side of my brain. I really want some help and guidance so I can learn how to not be afraid and make the leap for success. This is fun. We get so many messages like that where I think people, people think like I'm the only one who doesn't really know exactly what I'm even asking here. It's like, no, we see these messages all day. There's another one from um, Liza. I signed up. This is like signing up for um, something at Greenhouse. I signed up because I'm at this point in my journey that I'm in my late 30s without a degree. Professionally, I'm constantly losing students as a music teacher. And my income's erratic, um, but also just not feeling valued by employers or students trying to work multiple jobs and feeling stuck the place that I'm in. Um, so I could, I feel like I could earn more money and make a difference in the world, but not sure how to get there. You know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. I love the honesty of these messages that that's where so many people feel, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, also I wanted to shout out, uh, Nick who was realizing that, Oh, I thought this was really cool. Like in coaching was realizing that his leadership role has now become just solving all the big problems versus like looking forward strategically. 
And I don't know, maybe it was just something about the way he said it. I was like, yeah, doesn't that kind of happen to, to all of us? Like, I love that he named it and was um, now wanting to pivot and really make a lot more space for thinking forward strategically, learning how to delegate better and like how to have, you know, how to have better one-on-ones and prep for those and all the stuff that it takes mm-hmm. to like be a more strategic leader versus just solving the big problems. That's really inspiring. That's, I know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's a reason it's specifically inspiring to you, but to me, I thought I actually like grew up in my career hearing leaders I respected say like, oh, well, my job is just all the big problems come across my desk. Mm-hmm. And they said it in a way, I don't know if they meant it, but it was almost pitted as like, that's the sign of a a great yeah, leader. That or you're that, like a good firefighter. Yeah. Yeah. And like, well, if you make it to this level, like this is what you do and almost griping about it. Like this is all, this is all I do. So don't aspire to me. And I'm like, now I look at that and I'm like, wait, but that's actually the wrong job mm-hmm. for someone at that level. Um, maybe they just never. And then it like makes sense because it feels so normal that like solving the big problems is what leaders do. That feels normal, right? Uh-huh. And then we wonder why there are so many problems that are coming up. And it's like, well, no <laughs> one's actually looking forward strategically oh to anything. Gosh. That is such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I think we've talked about this, this personality grape. You know the difference between like... um. I call it like a monologue person versus a dialogue person. Yeah. And often people are one or the other. It's rare, in my opinion, to find people that are good at both. Do you, do you think you've ever seen someone who can uh, do both? Yeah. I think there's like one communicator that you and I both know that um, she's so good in conversation and can give one of the best concise 18-minute talks of anyone I know. I think I know exactly who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I'm the same. I can't think of many people. You're, you're the one. same as in you're really good at both. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. really more than just those two things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a trialogger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I am really bad at monologue. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I say that, people are like, oh, really? I mean, I think you give a good talk and this and that. And I'm like, thanks, I guess. But like, no, I know that that's not a strength of mine. And the amount of effort it takes for you to give one too. Yes. So much effort to plan for a talk. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, people who that's their mode, they're like, I barely spend any time prepping. I could just get up there and impromptu do it. Mm -hmm. Because that's like the way you give a talk is the way their thoughts naturally flow. Mm -hmm. Whereas my thoughts naturally flow in a back and forth. Like when you say something, it sparks a thought for me. But if I don't have you saying something, I don't know where to go next. Like I'm just blank. Or you're like waiting on some kind of reaction, whether it's like confusion or affirmation or anything. You're not getting anything in a monologue. Yes. Yes. So I thought that was interesting. I never realized that dynamic until I um, got into this role with Leading Greenhouse. But I think that now I notice it a lot. Like monologue people actually need to pause in conversation and let the other person react or respond mm-hmm. so i noticed this with a couple of friends who are monologuers where it's like they were talking about something and i was really interested and i had like a reaction to it but then i was holding it in because they kept going and it's very much like this run-on paragraph and then i they said another thing that i like wanted to ask something about but they kept going and that and then they finally ended you know <laughs> after like five minutes and i'm looking up i'm like 
I've got like a list of five things to ask you about now versus I think a dialogue person will naturally pause and it's like back and forth. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find that I find that hard about podcasting that I actually want to go back and forth more, but feel like I need to monologue more. It's so difficult to tell what the balance is and how it comes across. I feel like in podcasting, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Like in a normal conversation off mic, it feels natural, but on mic, you're like, is that too much? Is it not enough? Did it <laughs> yeah. feel too choppy? Did I feel like I interrupted? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what I feel at least with it. So if a monologue person needs to like pause and let the other person respond, I think the dialogue person needs to be aware of like staying on track in a linear way. And, um, and if, if something comes up, that's like a different track is just may jot it down and come back to it later. Like trying to be more linear, especially for a monologue person. And it's funny how, you know, you and I started this podcast with Tommy and you still work with Tommy Thompson on his podcast. He's more of a monologue person. So I would have to work on this where it's like, if I'm too scattered, I I would like confuse him. And he's like, where are we going here? So I'd have to kind of write it down and come back to it Mm -hmm. versus he's more monologue and he'd have to work on like pause. Let me react to, you know, let me say something there or ask a question before it's too late. Yeah. So I don't know how much of a gripe it is. It's more just like um, really helpful to think about, to be aware of this especially if you're a communicator. Well, is it a gripe or is it a myth? Or like, which one is it? Where's okay. the line? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is, that was a Sunday shout out Sunday. Today. I'm talking to Christy Scootvik, who is the founder and principal of Scootvik consulting. It's an HR consulting company. Um, she's also very much, uh, an innovator and somebody who sees a lot of possibilities in the space of people and culture. Uh, work culture. And so she has some fun projects going on. But it's interesting to hear her very much nonlinear career path from college to a variety of different jobs that kind of came through just talking to different people and all the way until, yeah, being a business owner and being um, a consultant and somebody who's uh, creating some new um, software products. And so it's really interesting to hear her journey but I actually met her through her podcast, which is called the vibes cast. And I think it's really great, um, way that she captures and shares the stories of people and their, um, their career journeys as well. So, uh, this is Christy Skutvik. Christy, you are, um, a person that I just recently met, but we talked for what was it? Two and a half hours on the phone. It was a long time. I remember thinking and getting off the phone, like, "Oh my gosh, I got, I gotta get, I gotta going. get going." I know I was late to something. I'm like, "Wait, <laughs> we could have gone for at least a solid three more hours straight with zero breaths in between." Um, Agree. So I I wanted to just introduce you. So Christy is the founder and principal of Scootvik Consulting. So you do a lot of HR related consulting, but you're also definitely an innovator in the space of people and culture. And obviously we'll get into that a little bit. I kind of initially met you though, through someone who introduced us and it was more through your podcast work vibes, which has now turned into a bigger thing. So before we get into all that, like tell everybody where you live and where, what was your first job? Like as far as you can remember. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I live in Southern California. Um, it's a beautiful 75 degrees out today. The sun's out finally. We've had a very gray, gray start to the year, but I understand on the east it's been very hot. So feel very fortunate to be here. Not cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my first job. So I remember, um, and I'll, I'll maybe even take you back a, se- a step further. In college, I going to school and I was like, I'm going to be an, I love numbers. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be a CPA. I interned at a CPA office and I was like, this is awful. So I changed my major very quickly after I studied abroad to a global studies major. And that's really broad. So I was like, what the heck am I going to do? I'm good with people. I could talk to people. I could build relationships kind of wherever I go. So maybe I'll go into sales. So I had an internship and through a network of people found myself in a sales role because as I was interviewing, um, thinking I wanted to go into pharmaceutical sales, right? It seemed fun. It was very lucrative at the time when I graduated school. So I, um, got a sales job, but it was inside sales. So, uh, I found myself pounding the phones, um, to sell lease financing to municipalities. Totally. Mm-hmm. In the Northeast. Got it. Um, <laughs> and so I found myself feeling very micromanaged by like how many calls you're making, how long you're on the phone, mm-hmm. what's the engagement, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I was like, this is not the sales that I anticipated and what I thought I would love to do. So I very quickly recognized that. I think I was at that job two months. Um, It felt like two years, Um, but just started really understanding like the skills that I, why do I want to go into sales? What are those skills and how do they parlay into other types of jobs? Uh Um, So I found myself um, selling myself, if you will, to a corporate recruiting manager in the mortgage space. And, the, and I said, well, if I could sell a product, I could, I could sell a company for sure. <laughs> so she bought into it and I found, and, and that's kind of like what led me into my journey. I w- ended up being a corporate recruiter. Mortgage was really big at the time. Um, it was really fun. The atmosphere was fun. Um, they had a recruiting team of probably a hundred, um, some retail, but I was on the corporate side and, just really launched kind of my career in this HR space, if you will. How did you find that opportunity or that person? So I'm really good at talking to people. <laughs> like if I could bottle that up and monetize uh-huh. it, which I think I have in my in my consulting career, right? But if I could really do that even more, um, it was just a matter of like, you know, I I moved home from college. I was living at home. I wanted to move out. I started talking to people. I met this girl. I didn't know her. She was going to be my new roommate. I knew her through a friend of a friend who I went to college with. <laughs> and she worked at this company in recruiting. I'm like, what do you do? Yeah. And so she started to tell me, she's like, let me introduce you to uh, this guy. And then I got introduced to this guy. And so it was really about like connecting with others and talking with others to explore like what is out there. And at the time it was like, I'm making $0. Yeah. So I, there was no risk. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome because I, I have a similar thing where I used to think when I was in kind of the big corporate environment and yeah, it started realizing that what people actually valued me for was not my job, but, but it was like the coffee meetups and the random conversations. And I was good at meeting new people. I was good at kind of 
you know, helping them, getting them energized or helping them figure out. And, and I was getting that feedback. And I remember thinking it was probably a good few years of like, Uh what if you could get paid to do this? Wouldn't that be cool? And then like laughing it off and going to a meeting and and then one day realizing like, whoa, wait a minute. There is, there, there are like career paths where you're paid for that. Yeah. yeah. That's not really a thing. And, but it's interesting. Cause yeah, you also went to kind of, you know, major university land of that's not a thing. That's not a box to go after, but you ended up kind of naturally yeah. going towards some of those. Yeah. I just, I, I knew, um, like in my heart of hearts, I think really early on that I, have to enjoy what I'm doing, which I think Mm. is probably uh, not common for most because they're kind of taught to go on this linear path. Um, In fact, I just started reading um, Candace Nelson, the the founder of um, Sprinkles Cupcakes. She wrote a book called Sweet Success. Okay. And she talks about how like in education, right, there's you there, you're you're molded to go one path Mm -hmm. typically or another. And it's kind of this notion of like, it's okay if you don't really like it because you can't really make money out of passion. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but what if you could, or what if you just like got a crazy idea and started to take that like 1% or that next step just to explore? Yeah. And I think we had talked about this where there's also that weird piece of, um, you know, I'm kind of bashing corporate, but it's just like a typical environment where, okay, so you were good at, at talking to people and meeting random people. And it's not, it's not your main job. It's not actually what you're valued for and paid to do. And so you're actually putting a bunch of your energy into all these other things. But part of what that entrepreneurial path it gives you is the ability to focus all your major attention on that thing you're good at and love doing, which does then spur on and create more real opportunity that can be a real job. Totally. And I even say to, you know, prospects and the, as I'm talking to them in the consulting space, Mm -hmm. like, cause you know, HR consulting is a saturated field. It's, it's there, there are HR consultants everywhere. I'm of the mindset, like abundance mindset of there's a piece of the pie for everybody. Um, because I'm not for everyone and I bring something different than the next person does. Right. So, Um, But what I go into a conversation, I was just having a conversation earlier today is like what differentiates me is exactly that sweet spot that I found early on is I can kind of digest and understand the business and then I can integrate HR versus coming in and being kind of this wet blanket, if you will, of you're not doing this, you're not doing this. Why aren't you doing this? You need to do this. You need to do (laughs) this. Everyone's like, rolling their eyes like why are we paying you what are we doing like you're impeding on our progress and then I think I can become relatable because I'm also driving my own business to to success right so I'm not only do I have this skill of HR and connectedness but I also am like I get it because I'm a small business owner too. yeah okay but I kind of cut you off so what was the what was the rest of the journey from that kind of first yeah. foyer into HR to where you are now. Sure. So, I mean, as we all know, mortgage kind of went belly up. Um, it, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, and, but I could see the writing on the wall. So I, and I knew that corporate recruiting or recruiting in general was a little bit of a linear path and 
somewhat one dimensional. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a person of variety. So I knew that there were good parallels into HR. So I um, left that company when in went to work for a medical device company that was very, very old school um, for a, probably the first 12 months that I was there, but tons of opportunity. Like I could see that like, wow, they do stuff on paper. They have like a window. They literally had this like HR office and then the new hires would like come into this waiting area yeah. and there was like a doctor window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you peered your head out like, hey. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so what I saw was like opportunity instead of being defeated by like what it is, I saw what it could be. Um, and I ended up spending, you know, a good part of my career there. I spent 10 years. I left uh, for a short stint in the middle, um, but returned back. And really, that's where I knew I had like a different HR skill set um, than than others because I the company was huge multinational. Um, there was probably about 60 people in HR national, uh, internationally. Uh-huh. Um, and so I could really see like why they would choose me for this versus somebody else for that. Right. And, um, and also understood my limitations because I didn't have, um, my entrepreneurial spirit was killed a little bit there because it was like, well, you can't, you can't do this over here. You can't explore that over there. You can't do this role unless you choose to move across the country with your family. You can't do that. It was like a lot of like, you can't Uh versus you can't like, let's, let's see where that goes. Right. So I would experience that entrepreneurial like fire as I was supporting the client groups that I had because I had flexibility to do things very, um, within like a small pod, I'll call it, of the client group, yeah. but not more. I mean, when did you realize though that that was like, no, that's like part of my essence versus, oh, this is a fun project and that's not, or this is a fun company and that's not? So I, it's probably worth mentioning, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So my my dad owns his own, it's a very small business. Um, it's like a single store shipping business. Oh, cool. Um and my brother also does too. He's in product development for um, car care products, mm-hmm. and um, and my sisters also are own their own skincare studio. So it's <laughs> I have. I mean, they're younger than me, so I'm the oldest, and then you know, obviously my dad. But I I do have. There is this like, is it um, is it nature or nurture? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but I always knew I liked flexibility. So mm. that's what I'll like pull it back to, mm-hmm. even from the get-go of that corporate recruiting experience yeah. um, or the the sales job. What I knew I didn't like is like I had to be in my seat at 6 a.m. and I had to be making these phone calls. And I was like, but what's the bigger goal? Like, why are you tracking me on this? Mm-hmm. If I get all these deals, why does it matter how many phone calls? I yeah. Like what? <laughs> right. I get into the office and I'm meeting with my clients and there's high satisfaction and I'm getting the deliverables done. Like, why does it matter if I'm there at 8 a.m. and I have to leave at 5 p.m.? So I was always questioning kind of this norm of things Mm -hmm. because I liked the flexibility to like get my work done and be able to do some of these other things that I enjoyed doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember specific times where it's like I was dinged because I wasn't there at eight and leaving after six. And I'm like, but I got more done than all the people sitting around me. 
hundred percent. It's like, this is so backwards, but, but yeah, so we get stuck in these systems of like, but this is the rule. No one's questioning yeah. the rule. I, I find that interesting. Like the people who are half, and it's not just entrepreneurial people. I find there's just different types that are like, but why? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I even find in like my consulting engagements, right? Mm-hmm. Like I consulting the the business on certain things and then they'll encounter an employee relations issue and we'll start to talk about it. And I can feel like the threads of my being coming out in that, yeah. like, why do they have to be in the office? Mm-hmm. Like on that specific day or like, hey, let me, but what it does is help. I stand back and I say, okay, help me understand the why. And I, and they're more receptive to me being a consultant and asking that why than somebody else internally. Yeah. Okay. We could go down that path for a while, but before, before we do, <laughs> like what else? Tell me a little bit um, more about the journey because you were telling me about even some new ideas and ventures. And it sounds like I was almost picturing like the HR consulting is this thing you're in, but you're also like moving through it to some other things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So HR consulting, it's like I could do it in my sleep, right? It's like what I grew up, I guess, in the, in the HR space. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but I, there's more to it. So what I've been thinking about over the course of gosh, probably the last few years is I'm one person. Now I have people who work for me too, but to scale a consulting business becomes a a game of people. And I have a unique way of doing it. So I then have to teach and train them how to do it the way I believe is the best way. Uh Right. Um, while learning from them too, but I've, I've gotten to this place because of me. Um, and that that's challenging to scale. I'm one person. I can't clone myself. I can get I can get close to training people, <laughs> yeah. but there's there's still, you know, come from their own background and experience mm-hmm. as well. So um as I started kind of like exploring this journey of like scalability and productizing a service, um I started, you know, connecting with other people in operational space, HR space, culture space, you know, people who do stuff similar to me, but different enough to give me some perspective. Uh Um, So started down this path probably about a year ago of work vibe. So what is it that makes an environment um, like a client that I have like better than the next one? Uh And it's really like vibes that they have at their organization. And I can play a hand in those creating those. Right. So what does that look like? How do you scale that? And and that's kind of how Work Vibes was birthed, if you will. Yeah. Of um, outlining the moments that matter for the employee experience from hire to retire. And then really, h- how do you un- uncover how people feel about those moments at the right time uh, very quickly? And then how do you articulate actionable steps that don't require a huge budget, yeah. don't require... Midi don't require all the fluff. Mm-hmm. I think traditionally culture or engagement systems require. Yeah. So it's kind of, it takes a lot of that consulting you already do, but it, it almost productizes it more. It creates more of a product that, um, that can scale up more. Yeah. Do you, yes. do you have, 
and if I'm prying too much, just tell me, but do you have a specific no. like picture in mind or vision for what it's going to be? Or is that like still in process? Yeah. So we are, um, creating like a SaaS platform. So it's, it's really about like uncovering the data and making data actionable. Okay. Right. So because when I talk to other HR experts in the field or engagement folks or what have you, it's like, they do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but they can't really quantify why they're doing what they're doing or put their finger on like, because I did this, it, it drove this because in my opinion, they look at an engagement score and not like the small moments within the journey of an employee. Well, that's what I right? like about what you're doing because even the name work vibes, I immediately loved because <laughs> I don't know about you. I had a lot of people still do kind of ask, yeah, but how do you define culture? Yeah. Just had a client the other day, this company was, they were asking like, but how do you define culture? What is it? And what is a good culture? Define it. And I'm kind of, I'm like trying to answer them. And in my head, there's like, there isn't a, a definition, but I get why you're asking. And it's a good question because you want to know what you're headed towards, what you're trying to build. It's hard to build it if you don't right. know what it is. Right. And and in my head, I didn't have the term you have, but I was thinking like, no, it's actually more about the vibes. It's more about the the feeling of it almost yeah. is what it is, right. not a, a, a rote definition of things. Because Matt, like, think about this, like to your your point of who you were talking to, it's hard to define culture. But if you say what's the vibe of Starbucks, people, it doesn't matter what background they have, mm -hmm. what experience they have, what type of work that they're in, they immediately know what you're talking about. So it becomes this like very relatable word and topic without having, <laughs> so it's simple, right? The whole goal is like, we, we keep it super mm -hmm. simple. And sometimes people look at it and like, well, I, I, it's so simple. Like, I don't get it. And it's like, well, no, that's the point. Yeah. It's like, we got to get back to the basics. And because if we don't, we're just missing the mark. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, that's such a good example. Um, yeah. well, that's, that's exciting. I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah. a needed, that's a needed thing. <laughs> you know, one of those things I read, I, I, well, I'm not quite finished, but I, um, am reading Peter Atia's book about, um, like just longevity and well-being, And he kind of takes three, have you read it or heard about no, it? No, but I've, yeah, I've been, um, digging into some of his stuff. Yeah. Okay. So he talks about like medicine 1.0, 2.0 and 3.0, right? Of like pre-penicillin treatment. And then 3.0 is like what we're working towards, which is really prevention. Mm -hmm. And so I liken kind of what we're doing into three parts to like HR or engagement. Um, 1.0 was like when HR was personnel and it moved to HR. And then it became like this thing, like almost like business partners. And it became this thing. Then you go 2.0 is like this engagement era. And we've been in it for a really, really long time. Engagement, culture, people, mm -hmm. HR change, like people operations, like to get more, you know, business minded, if you will. But I really think we're on the brink. I think what happened there is we like overcomplicated a simple thing. Mm treated, we, we assessed information to treat a problem versus ask about things to prevent a problem. Yeah. And so 
in this new space where I see work vibes is really engagement 3.0, like that prevention that Peter Atia talks about, um, to get ahead of those things. Mm-hmm. They're going to happen. People are going to be disengaged. People are going to leave an organization. But what if all it took was like at 90 days, you got some feedback that was consistent and you started to change that. And all of a sudden, the vibe of your organization just naturally and organically changes yeah. because of one thing. Uh, yes. And and it shifts it to more of a designing the culture you want versus, yeah, reacting exactly. to, oh, a bad engagement score. How do we fix it? it? I don't know about you. When I see those scenarios and I've worked in trying to help with those, I think they're actually impossible scenarios. Yeah. Well, and the, big, the feedback I always got was like, you know, we did that. We would do these engagement surveys at this big company uh-huh. that I worked at. And then it would take a few months to get the data back. And then it would take a few more months to like assemble a committee and get a budget and then start working on it. Okay. So you're six months in and then people have forgotten, like you're starting to do all these things, but there's no tie back to like the data that they originally gave you. So on the next one, the biggest piece of feedback is like, you got my feedback and you didn't do anything about it. Yep. Yes. <laughs> it's like, but we totally, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to communicate better. And yet you didn't even see it because yeah. it's overcomplicated. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Um, okay. So do you, what do you Amazon effect now, right? Like everyone like right here, right now, feedback is shared immediately. Uh, You know, a score is given immediately. So that's really like what we're trying to emulate um, because it follows like what people expect. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Of course, probably you did probably did the same thing. Like when I set out to start greenhouse, I did have a list of things. I'm like, this is what I'm designing. Mainly, mainly reaction to things I hated about other experiences, but there were some yeah. that were just positive, like this is what I want to build. And yeah, that that setting out to design a culture, it kind of you're right. It creates some of the it creates other things on its own that you didn't intend that are good. Yeah. And like a big the biggest one for us is that kind of feedback culture. It's just part of how we do things. So now there's never really? that problem or there's rarely that problem of like, oh gosh, there's this big issue. How do we address it? Yeah. Or the, yeah, I just feel like I don't grow here because I never get any kind of like commentary yeah. on how I'm doing. It's just like yeah. when you try to address those symptoms with a Band-Aid, it, then it's a problem because you're just talking about feedback versus like actually doing it as part of the air we breathe. Yeah, it's like your way of being, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like setting up, I, I, not, I will never forget this, um, being asked to set up a mentor program, right? And it's like awesome. And I feel like every company at some point in their journey wants to do something like mm-hmm. that. But when it's like inauthentically connected, you're connected to somebody as a mentor, yeah. you're like, think about your own personal mentors in your life. It's like they crossed your path. You build a relationship with them. You feel connected to them for one reason or another. And then like, we're going to inauthentically create this process in an organization for mentorship. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I always like... It's like, I'm just, I don't get no, it. No, actually, we're not. We don't even get to that. First, we're just having, we're like spending all our time creating decks to try to convince people why mentorship's important. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why can't we just like have a conversation? I'm like, I know you and I know you and I think you could really benefit from getting coffee once a week. <laughs> I know. Oh, wow. Um, that's really cool. 
do you, what do you hope your future, like future Christy role yeah. wise, how do you see your time divvied up between these different kinds of things? Yeah. I mean, my ultimate like purpose statement, I would say is to help people see the possibilities mm. because I know that like when you open your mind to think beyond the possibilities are really endless. And I believe that like cultivating and following your, you know, things that you enjoy doing, um, will like the money will follow. And I know maybe that sounds cliche. Yes. Everyone needs to make a paycheck. Right. But, um, I, on this, on the book, the, the sprinkles founder book, she was saying like, one employer drives decisions when you work for an employer, when you have clients, like multiple clients drive your decisions and your input. And if, and you have the control over like the experience that you give them, where an employer has the control over the experience that they give you. And I just thought like that dynamic of thinking about work and a different way of working, um, was really interesting. So I'd like to be able to create experiences for organizations and for people within organizations that maybe aren't willing to take the risk to be an entrepreneur. I know that it takes a lot of grit and it's not for everybody or the faint of heart. So if that's not for for them, maybe they can be an entrepreneur where they can create these vibes at work. Um, because they've been given the opportunity to, or the organization believes in it enough to that that they are willing to invest in something that's not this whole engagement thing, but yet these small pockets of moments that matter and improving those. Uh, love what you're doing. Okay, so I highly recommend to people listening to check out Work Vibes podcast. What else? Where where uh, socials website? Where can they check other things out? Yeah. You're doing? So- GetWorkVibes.com and then from an HR consulting standpoint, ScootFitConsulting.com. So, you know, think that the, this whole idea of work vibes and HR consulting kind of commingle, if you will. Um, and so I, I'm integrating, you know, work vibes into the, the vibe that I'm, I'm doing as I'm doing HR consulting because they're very interrelatable. What we're hoping with work vibes is that we can touch way more people and way more organizations because it's more scalable. Yeah. And we can. it's not necessarily people focused. We're creating programs, leadership forums, leadership training on demand, et cetera, that allow people to access information and the things that we're up to without a person being there. And we want to empower those within an organization to be like that experience ambassador or that vibe ambassador, if you will. Nice. Well, I have a feeling you'll be back on. Um... <laughs> yeah, let's. I could go on and on and on and on. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.